This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Bless all of you. Once again, you're welcome here. If you need a Bible, once you raise your hands, our ushers will get you one. Uh, just, just a little side note. I, I love the song about miracles. And, you know, I, I believe he's a God of miracles still. And, you know, even right here in our house, we begin to see some ones that operate in miracles. Just different stories. Russell, why don't you raise your hand? There he is. Russell had a miracle just recently, just incredible. I'll let, I'll let him tell it to you. I've already told it n- numerous times, Russell. Just incredible thing happened in his body. But uh, one of our foreign exchange students who goes to school at South Plains, Benjamin, he's from Cameroon. They're on the uh, Atlantic side of the ocean. His sister, she was born where she could see and she saw many years of her life. And then 10 years ago, she completely lost her eyesight. And so they begin to pray that, Father God, move. You're the God of miracles. You're the God of miracles. And two weeks ago, he told me that he got a call. And they said, your sister's seeing again. And so he's the God of miracles. He really is. You know, and it's just the goodness of God that he does those things. All right, go with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll begin. We've been on a series as far as you know, many times in our life, we, we face adversity, we face tribulations, troubles. You know, there in Psalm fifty fifteen it says, Call on me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you. And so, you know, every one of us are going to face troubles. And, and oftentimes, they come when we least expect it. But that doesn't mean you're a bad person, okay? And that doesn't mean that you've gotten over into sin just because we face troubles. So... We've been adding on to this week after week after week and just to let you see some things biblically that I believe will help you because we're going to face troubles, okay? So begin with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The Apostle Paul talking, he said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now the word perilous oftentimes, or often isn't a word we hear. But that word has different meanings. It means it's harsh, savage, difficult, dangerous, hard. And so you begin to get the description of these things. And I believe we can have comfort in life, but we can't not live with a commitment to Him. And so in these last days, there will be an increase of certain things that will take place. Now, I'm not going to read verses 2, verses 3, or verse 4. But to continue, in, to continue in the gospel, you're going to face a lot of things. And some of the things are perversion. Some of them are just self-centeredness. But pick up with me in verse 5, and it says, Having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness. One translation says, The act or appearance of being religious. And so we live in a time where it's very easy to talk about, well, I go to church. I'm a part of this denomination or this doctrine. And again, I'm not against denominations, non-denominations, any of that. But I can't put my denomination above the things of God. The Word of God's true for every one of us. And so when we get to heaven, there's not going to be parts of heaven that's going to say this is the the, the Catholics, this is the Charismatics, this is the... That's not how it's going to be. 
It's the same as there's not going to be a part of heaven that's for the black folk and the white folk and the swirl folk, okay? We're all going to be there, all right? But understand this, that this is what begins to happen. We, we take on a form of godliness and we have little cliches that we speak where we understand how to speak in Christianese. And ultimately, it just becomes a front. And so these are areas that the last days will be marked with. And he goes on to say, having a form of godliness, but deny its power. And the power we deny is the very word of God and the outpouring of the spirit of God. And you'll see this over and over that this time we live in will be marked by this. And if you look at the last part of verse 5, he says, and from such people turn away. They leave the things of God. And so this was just some warnings from the Apostle Paul on the times we live in. Pick up with me, same chapter, verse number 10. And Paul is talking to the, the young pastor named Timothy and said, But you've carefully followed my doctrine of the Word of God. My manner of life, you've seen how I've lived, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. And those are interesting words. That the Apostle Paul had to go through some long-suffering. He had to go through some perseverance. But keep reading in verse 11. He says, persecutions, afflictions. What happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra? What persecutions I endured. So here this man, the Apostle Paul, said, I had to endure some persecutions. But he ends this verse and he says, but out of them all the Lord has delivered me. And so he walked through those things and God helped him walk them out in life. And he turned to God in all these things. But the greatest apostle of all, in my opinion, he wasn't exempt from persecutions. He wasn't exempt from hard times. Verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there's going to be things that will happen to every one of us. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about different things, whether it's trouble, tribulation. In looking at the word tribulation, one of the Greek meanings of it means threshing, a word that we don't use very often. But when you see the word threshing, especially in the Old Testament, in Judges uh, chapter 6, with the the man named Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And when the angel appeared to him, it said that he was threshing the wheat. The word threshing literally means that God, he wants to take the grain or the wheat and he wants to separate it from the chaff or the weeds. So one uh, reference of this is that when I go through this threshing in my life, it's the only way that you really find out what's on the inside of you. You never know really what you believe or where you stand without going through troubles. And so it's part of the way that you find out what's the real fruit of my life. Now, when I go through these things, one of the things that helps me or hurts me is my attitude of going through them. If I have a good attitude, I keep looking to God, things are going to go well. But if I don't, it won't be so well. So literally, I'm either going to get better or I'm going to get bitter. Now, when I become bitter in life, and I start saying things like this, life's not fair. Life's not fair. 
That's a pretty good sign that I've got some bitterness on the inside of me because with that, I'll become cynical. I'll become very critical. Now, you can ask yourself this right now. Am I critical? Am I critical? It's okay, wives, if you look and say, yep, you're critical, honey. You're critical. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but ultimately it shows my heart. And the only difference between the word better and bitter is one letter. And the letter that always stands out to me in the word bitter is the I. And what happens with the I is I start blaming others. I start thinking if I, I wouldn't have been in this situation, it wouldn't happen. If I would have had better parents, if my boss wouldn't have done that. And so again, to a degree, we're saying life's not fair. But if I'm not careful, I'll allow that to dominate me. Now, what we want to do this morning here is I, I looked at two different men in the Bible. And one started life great and he ended bad. The other started life bad, but he ended great. And I'm talking about the man named Solomon and a man named the Apostle Paul. I want you to go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Ecclesiastes is, you'll go to the Psalms and the Proverbs and it'll be Ecclesiastes. Now, let me just briefly tell you a little bit as you're turning to Ecclesiastes 2 about this man named Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. And the Lord had said to King David, you're not going to build the temple. He said, your son Solomon is. And the reason was that is David shed so much blood. And so Solomon starts out just great with God. He starts out so good with God that in 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord was so pleased with him. He said, Solomon, if I ask you for one thing that you desired, whatever that is, I'll give it to you. Now let's just put ourselves in these stories because it really helps me when I do that. So sitting here right now, if the Lord appeared to you and he said, what one thing can I do for you right now? What would you say? And I realize that would look differently or sound differently for every one of us in this room. But when that question was asked, Solomon, he said, Lord, I ask that you give me an understanding heart. I ask that you give me wisdom to rightly lead and to judge your people. And so the request of Solomon blessed God so much that God said, not only am I going to give you an understanding heart, I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you honor. So when you begin to study the life of Solomon, you'll see not only was he the wisest man in the world, he wrote the majority of the Proverbs, if not all of them, but also he began to operate in incredible wealth, incredible honor. So we pick up in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Now, the New American Standard helps me a little more with the word mirth. The word mirth means possessions and uh, pleasures is what it literally means. He goes on to say, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. Now, if we had time to look at every chapter in Ecclesiastes, there's 12 chapters. The, the root word in the whole uh, chapter of or the whole book of Ecclesiastes, is the word vanity. The word vanity literally means useless. To me, it was saying something that will never satisfy. So we keep reading verse 2. 
I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth or pleasure, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify or please my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly that I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. Now, when we think about life, If you live to be 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, that's a pretty good life, especially the the latter part. But none of that's in comparison to eternity. That the the man of God named James there in James chapter 4, he said, life is but a vapor. We're here, then we're gone. And I said this in the, the, the first service, that when you're young, you're 10, 15, 20, 25, you think that 75 years old is a long time. I remember being there in my own life thinking, man, ooh, that's a long time. I, I remember one time there was a guy who said that he was 42, and I said, oh, dude, you're old. You're old. And it just comes from where you're at in life. And so now at the age of, of 35, 55, I, I begin to view life differently. That I understand more and more what the Apostle James was saying as far as life's but a vapor. We're not here very long. And, and so in reading this, one of the things I'd like to get across, I mean, I've got to make my todays count. But I, I can't just live for the moment. Do I do anything that looks toward eternity? And so as we begin to journey through this a little more, I want you to note how many times Solomon says I here. Verse 4, I made my works great. I built my houses. And I planted myself vineyards. Now, Psalms 127 is very clear. It says, that he who builds or doesn't allow the Lord to build a house, he labors in vain. God's not against me having a house. It's just when I quit including him in my everyday life. And when I quit including God, you know what happens? Not only do I forget God, my children that follow me forget God. Future generations, they forget God. There's no thought of God anymore. What's scary for me to say to you today is that describes America. That we literally have generations of families. Now, they don't have a thought for God. And when they hear people are going to church on Sunday, why would you go to church? Because I like God. I like the things of heaven. Keep reading with me. I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens, orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, and I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds, flocks, than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings in the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled or increased more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me. 
Now, if we were to read about this guy, this guy would be the description of having everything imaginable. He had wealth. He had fruit trees. He had singers. He had instruments. It said he made pools. He had a wet and wild, I believe. Yeah, I mean, he had everything imaginable. And many times that's our thought in this life. That if I just had more money, if I just had a spouse, if I just had a good job. And so where we miss it as human beings is when we quit looking to God. We, we don't have God a part of our life anymore at all. And you begin to sense that, that there's no reference of God in his life. Verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. In other words, when I saw something, I went after it. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done. And on the labor in which I had toiled. Indeed, all was vanity. All was useless. This guy began to see that, that none of it left any left, lasting impressions upon his life. What happens with these things is we're always looking for more and we got to have more. And he goes on to say here, Indeed, it was vanity and grasping for the wind. It was chasing the wind. Have you figured out that when you chase the wind, the wind is elusive. You'll never catch it. And this was this description. And he ends in saying there. There was no prophet under the sun. Everywhere he looked under the sun. None were meant to satisfy. Do you know he used that reference 29 times? 29 times under the sun. Nothing. Same chapter. Look to me in verse 17. Watch this. Therefore, I hated life. Now, get a hold of that right there. Here was a man that had everything you could imagine. Everything. And he said, yet, I hated life. Listen what the, the New Living says. I came to, to hate life. Everything done here is so troubling. Is so troubling. So what he began to find out. That when you're always chasing those things. You find out they leaves me empty. But life becomes so, so, so troubling. That none of it fulfills. And I believe many times in our life. That's the very journey we've all been on. Where we think if I could just have that. But ultimately. Why is life so troubling? Now go to the last book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And as you're turning there, it just began to show me that even though he had everything in the world, he wasn't exempt from trouble. But the big thing is, he quit depending on God. And now at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he's at the end of his life. And he's looking at the rear view of mirror of life. And he knows he's on the verge of dying and leaving this earth. And thank God, I believe he repents and gets his heart right. 
But look what he says in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He's telling me and you, I'm going to give you the antidote. I'm going to leave you with some strategies for living. Now look at what he says there. Fear God and keep his commandments. The message says do what he tells you. Fear God. When it comes to fearing God, I worship God. I honor God. And when I fear God, it causes me to live differently. And he said also to obey him. For this is man's all. What was man's all? To fear him, to worship him. The things of this world are found to be useless. These things will all pass away. But my relationship with the Lord will last forever. That's the only thing that will last. And he realizes it at the end of his life. Many of you have heard me say this. But I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. What does that mean? You're not going with any of it to heaven. You think about this, when you came into this world, you had nothing. And when you leave, you'll have nothing. And the only thing that will be in heaven is people. That's it. And so he tells me these strategies for living. And then in verse 14, he ends, For God will bring every work into judgment. Every work including all the secret things of my life, and including whether good or evil. Now, every one of us in here this morning will stand before a just God for everything we've done. The secret things, the good things, the evil things. And some of you said, oh, no, that's not good. We're all going to stand before God. And when I stand before God... I'm not going to be able to look at him and say, but God, life wasn't fair. My life will be measured by his standards. Did I live like he asked me to live? What a question, huh? Turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, and I want you to see some things with the Apostle Paul here today. And when we study the Apostle Paul, this was the man who persecuted Christians. He consented to the death of them. He didn't have any problems with that, but in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with God that changed his life forever. That he just didn't live for the moment. He began to live for eternity. So we're back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know what he's realizing? My life here on earth is fixing to end. Verse 7. I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. Keep reading. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, begin to look at the words that he talked about right here because he likened life to a battle and to a race. 
And even though he faced great obstacles, he kept fighting the fight. He kept running the race. In other words, when life got tough, he didn't pull out. He's in the mile run, and after two laps, he said, I'm done. He kept going, and he kept fighting. And understand this, as a Christian, I'm going to have to keep fighting. I'm going to have to stand on the things of God. A lot of our armor's found there in Ephesians 6. But i got to keep going. And so this was what he began to say to Timothy. you got to fight the fight. you got to keep on running the race. And he goes on and says in verse 8, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And the crown of righteousness is not a reward I'll get here on earth. The crown of righteousness is something that will be given to people when we get to heaven. But look at his next words here because they're very similar to Solomon's. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. So right here at the end of his life, he knows. I'm going to stand before the righteous judge. And once again, everything I've done here on earth will be revealed. But this guy, he kept fighting. He fought the fight. He he never exited the race. And when we look at his life, this is at the end of his life. But many times we have this thought, his life must have been on easy street. It must have been smooth sailing. He never had any issues. Not. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. And as you turn there, you'll begin to see this guy went through incredible hardships as a Christian, as a man of God. But I believe it's something that he would like to tell everyone, no matter what you're going, keep on fighting. Keep on fighting. You know, there in Proverbs 24, it says, a righteous man will fall seven times, but he'll get back up. The only time we fail to lose is when we quit getting back up. Just keep getting back up. Keep getting back in the race. Some of you need to get back in the race. So we pick up here 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. This is Paul talking and he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers or servants of Christ? I speak as a fool. I speak as a madman. I am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measure, in prison frequently, and in deaths often and again and again and again and again. Now, this doesn't sound like a man who had it easy. And many times when I want to feel sorry for myself and how difficult my life is, all I got to do is turn here and look at this guy and I think, my life doesn't compare to what he went through. The guy who kept fighting the fight. The guy who kept running the race. And he goes on to say, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You know what that's talking about? 39 lashes on his back. And the most they could give you, the maximum would be 40. But it was proven that normally when they lashed you on the 40th one, It would kill you. Five different occasions, he had 39 lashes. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. And if you remember the passage when he was stoned, he was stoned so bad that they drug him out of the city and they thought he was dead. And all of a sudden, life came back in him. He goes on to say, I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I have been in the deep. In journeys, often, often. In dangers of water, of robbers, of my own countrymen, in dangers of Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst and in fasting often, in cold and without clothing. Now we get a picture of what was going on in this guy's life. But we jump back to 2 Timothy 4 where he said, I fought the good fight. I ran the race. Do you think someone would have gone through all the stuff that he went through if he didn't believe that Jesus was everything he said he was? And when I look at this guy, This is the same guy who in Galatians 6 said, Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. This is the same guy who said in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And so I think, how did this guy do it? What was Paul's secret sauce? You guys want to know? I was going to tell you anyhow, so turn one chapter. Chapter 12. Chapter 12. You know, in all the things that I read about Paul and Solomon, God wants us to enjoy life, but he wants us to enjoy life through God. I include God in everything I do. And I can stand here before you today and I can tell you, I'm a blessed man because of God. I'm a healthy man because of God. I'm telling you, he's blessed me. He's blessed me in incredible ways. I mean, just over and over in my life. I look, I, my marriage is blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm a blessed man. But I stand before you and I say, it's not because I'm the sharpest tool in the shed. It's not because I was a nuclear physics major. Not, I wasn't. It's because of God. And I want to rewind many years back to you that when I'm 17, 18, 19 years old, and all I did was live to get drunk as a teenage alcoholic. We, we, we smoked drugs after drugs after drugs. We lived for the things of the world. And I remember at 19 looking and saying, there's got to be more to life than this. This doesn't satisfy. And the reason I can tell you it doesn't satisfy is if you get drunk today, guess what you got to do tomorrow? Got to get drunk again and again and again and again. And before long, you become dependent on those things instead of dependent on God. And so in my own life, I looked and I thought, this is all useless. And if I don't help anybody today, I hope I help you young ones to keep you from pain. Because I caused a lot of pain in my life. Because of my choices. But one day, when I begin to hear hear that a man named Jesus died for me, it moved me. 
It moved me incredible ways. So now for 35 years of my life, I've been on this journey. Am I exempt from problems? No, I got problems. I got troubles. But I just keep hanging out with God. I keep coming to church and hanging out with you guys, and I love it. I love doing life with people that are just like me, not perfect, but we love the Lord. Back to the secret sauce. Okay. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace. And he said to me, my grace, my favor, my love and kindness, my mercy. That's what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me. Another definition of his grace is that it facilitates our abilities to conquer our weaknesses. Now, grace doesn't mean that I can do anything I want. He, he clarifies that in the book of Galatians. He says, shall we continually to sin? Certainly not. But yet, he graces me, and so he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And in the Amplified, where it says it's sufficient, listen real close to what it says. To enable you to bear the trouble. It will cause you the, the enabling to bear the trouble. So what begins to happen is when I begin to cry out for him to grace me, he begins to put stuff on the inside of me that says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make you strong. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I encourage you that on your daily activities, you begin to say, Father God, I need your grace today. I welcome your grace today. Whatever your problem you're going through is, ask him to grace you. If you got problems with your eyes, say, Lord, grace my eyes today. And even more so, we all fail in our human abilities with all the tasks that God's put on us. But with God's grace, oh my gosh, I've, been, I've become incredible. God's grace makes me look so good. Father God, grace me as a man. Grace me as a husband. Grace me as a father. And whatever your occupation is, you know, you may think your life's answer to whatever your occupation is. You better get ready for a humbling without God's grace. Grace me today, Father God. And I look at this and I begin to see. Apostle Paul said, grace me to fight the fight. Grace me to run the race. To the finish line. And so every one of us are the same in this. We as human beings, we're going to face troubles. We're going to face tribulations. But man, he's going to grace me in my weaknesses. And something happens, and I believe what happens is called the robe of humility. That I humble myself under the mighty hand of God and say, God, I don't make it without you. And so I don't know what you're going through today. But I know there's a lot of you that are going through troubles. And again, the Lord just wants to warn us and he wants to show us biblically. To say, you know what? If God's grace was sufficient for Paul, it's still sufficient for me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.